Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Get an analytics job podcast. So we've got a really interesting episode. So we've got Amanda here, who has been a student for wait, we're going on what two months at this point? Two months. Month three. Yeah. Okay. So she is. Yeah. So she's in our analytics apprenticeship program, which um, it's such perfect timing, Charles, that you came along because she just built out the. um, Actually, you can probably explain this a whole lot better than me because you're on the data engineering side. So you built out the whole database for what a hundred million dollar company for yeah their... we... yeah sure oh. yeah. No, no, happy happy to jump in um yeah it was a um the, my one of my previous positions uh, I was the director and manager of data and analytics um and the data engineering team and yeah we we built out a uh, data warehouse uh, super right. nuts the full thing as a team. So I'm much more on the data on the business side. So like all of the technical stuff is like, I, I'm glad that people like you, Charles and Amanda exist because all the coding and all that is like just very, well, I think it's just very detail oriented. So Charles, right now you're, you founded your own analytics startup called Soul Analytica. And that's kind of what you guys are doing, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm the CEO of Soul Analytica. We're a data consultancy and data software company. We work with small, mid-sized businesses um, kind of across the country. We do every piece of the data spectrum of, of work. So that's everything from talking with a company that's just, you know, they heard the buzz term, 
what is this data thing? Like, should I, how, how important is it? So we'll come in and we'll do a seminar or talk about what data driven decision making is um, and what, how that, how to get data into your company and why it's important to have a data strategy. And then, but, and then we'll do the whole spectrum. So we'll come in and we'll help identify source systems and build out the ETL and ELT to get your data to where you want it. A lot of our clients already have something of a data warehouse. So we'll either use their data warehouse and continue developing it, uh, rehash it to be kind of a modern data warehouse, or we'll host it um, in the Sol Analytica data warehousing environment as well. So we we have a hosted environment where we do that. Um, we'll design the warehouse to answer the questions that it is that are most important to that business. And that's a process, you know, on the business side of listening to what it is that people want to want to report on, what their KPIs are, helping them identify those KPIs, um, maybe identify new KPIs, and then we'll build the warehouse. We'll design the warehouse and build it. And then on the data viz side, we get that data in front of people because it's it's just critical from a business perspective. Like you have all the data in the yeah. world. If nobody knows it's there, then it's it, you're not getting anything from it. And so um, we do the viz portion of that to really bring the data to life and do the analytics, do the business analysis side of that as well. Um, we'll help out as that data is now visualized. How do you make it actionable? What decisions do you make based on that data? All the way. Down, continuing on the spectrum into uh, into data science and doing when our clients get to the point where they're ready to do some data science, they have an interesting question. Uh, we can we can help with that front too. So it's really it's literally the entire spectrum of uh, data consulting, and it's it's really an exciting opportunity just, to be in all those different places. I'm so excited that you get to I get to expose my students to someone like you, and also too. All right, so to kind of um, lay out the plan for this episode. So you've actually interviewed Amanda for a junior um, engineer, data engineering role earlier in this week. So we're going to flip the script. She's going to ask you questions about, okay, well, why did you ask certain questions? Kind of unpack your, your thinking behind your interview process. And then also, too, um, we're going to kind of revisit it where, Amanda, you're going to do a kind of a mock interview. We're going to have you share some of your work and then kind of role play, you know, a technical interview. Um, and then that way, you know, you can present something and then immediately have a conversation, you know, kind of like a meta conversation around, all right, how did I do? How can I improve? Um, so yeah. And then towards the end, I've actually got a couple more students kind of in the, in the wings here that we're going to pull on for a Q and a session. So Charles, we are going to be getting so much value out of you today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I, I'm really excited for this. I, th I, I think it's a really, you've come up with a great. Uh, structure for this, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and and continuing to talk with Amanda um, after our interview earlier this week. Awesome. All right. So, did you, did you want to jump into the mock interview now, or did you want to jump into um, having Amanda um, kind of ask you to unpack your interview, like thinking? Um. I. So I think it might. I, I, yeah, we can do that either way. Let's let's go ahead and do the mock interview. Um, okay. I know. Um, it, we were talking about doing a demo um, and, and showing some things. And I think um, one, given that some of your listeners are, are listeners and not video um, and two, just from a time perspective, I think maybe we'll um, skip over the demo um, and just kind of talk through what that was. I think that would be, I think sure. that would be totally uh, fine. Um, 
we haven't really done much intro for Amanda yet. And I know one of my first interview questions is like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so I, maybe it makes sense to go ahead and do that mock interview and kind of a reminder to the audience. Um, so it, I don't know if it would be fair to the rest of my candidates that we do a mock interview as the actual data engineering position. And Amanda has right. a really nice set of skills that are both data engineering and analytics. And so just as a reminder, we'll be doing this interview as like a first round and as a as though I had a data analytics position open. Um, okay, perfect. I think that'll be I think that'd be a good jumping off place. Amanda, we just had a coaching call where I coached you on literally that question. Tell me about yourself. So uh yeah. <laughs> you're I'm gonna be in the background just taking notes, giving you a grade as your professor. Okay. <laughs> so actually what I'm gonna do is just pull myself off the screen and then kind of give you to um the full spotlight. All right, you guys ready? I'm yep. pulling myself off now. All right, three, two, one. Let's start this mock interview. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Charles. I'm so glad that you could that you could make the time to um, come and and meet with me and and you know, get a chance to for us to get to know each other and kind of see what kind of fit we might have here. I'm really yeah, excited thank for you this. For having me. Absolutely. Um, so you already know this because we did this, but one of the first questions I ask, and I always offer the opportunity, is uh, would you like to tell me a little bit about yourself or would you like to hear about Soul Analytica first? Um, yeah, I think we should all hear a little bit more about Soul Analytica first. Perfect. Okay, so we'll skip right over the presentation that I did at the very beginning of this podcast uh, because you just heard it. Right. Um, the additional piece that we offer um, in addition to the data consultancy is I mentioned we're a software company too. We have a product that we call SolVista. It is a Tableau embed um, or embedded analytics. It allows um, our clients to put their Tableau viz in um, a portal environment so that their clients or their execs or their team can log in and see it. Um, it has a really cool additional uh, use case, which is that it's a terrific place to do a portfolio uh, demonstration and show um, if you're a job seeker, uh, what your Tableau portfolio looks like. And so um, that's the other piece of Soul Analytica. Um, and thanks for asking. Amanda, why don't you um, tell me a little bit about yourself um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so I'm Amanda. Um, I... I'm a data analyst, and I previously came from healthcare. I worked in healthcare for about 10 years. Um, that's why I really developed a passion for data and data analytics um, after working with mainly healthcare um, data, which is what I currently do. Um, I have developed a love for the entire data analytics lifecycle, um, so I appreciate all parts of that. Um, I am mainly looking into going into a more technical role like data engineering um, or heavier on the data analytics side. Great. Yeah. So as a reminder, I, I know you're looking maybe for that data engineering um, position. Um, and this is an interview uh, for a, uh, an analyst position. Um, you know, I'm excited after looking at resume to talk to you about the analyst portion of it. Um, well, you know, we do have positions that come up as data engineering frequently, but um, let's let's kind of start from there and see kind of kind of where we can go. Um, one of the things that um, I always listen for is kind of a a, a successful track record or a, a a love of data and analytics. Um, 
And, you know, you're coming from a healthcare background, that actually makes a lot of sense because for us, Soul Analytica, we um, have clients in the healthcare space. Uh, so um, that's, that's great. There's already a little bit of a map there. Can you tell me um, kind of what you were doing um, in that healthcare background and, and maybe what your story, how, how did you come to the data side of that? Yeah, so I actually started as a paramedic um, where we were involved in a lot of um, research studies, which is where the data began to come into play. Um, so when I went back to school, um, I became a respiratory therapist and ended up at the company I'm at now where we focus on medical devices. So I'm working with a lot of ERP data, troubleshooting devices based on that data and working with patients to get their medical devices working. Great. Um, is it uh, when you were getting into doing some of that, um, did you, was there a, 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 what was it that drew you to the data? Um, did you seek it out? Did it seek you? And then you discovered that you enjoyed it? What is that? What does that part of the story look like? I love critical thinking. I love solving problems. Um, working with data is just like a giant puzzle for me that I just, I love solving problems with it and helping people. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, yeah, so you mentioned that you love problem solving or, or solving puzzles. Um, can you tell me a data related problem or puzzle that you solved recently? Yeah, so um, recently we had a bunch of devices um, that were coming back to us with a bunch of error codes. Um, turns out that they were all programmed as humidifiers and not the actual medical device, which made sense when they weren't recording the data over. Um, and we found we found that error that way. So you you identified some unexpected scenario <laughs> happening. Um, you were able to dig into the data and find that. So tell me a little bit about maybe what tools did you use when you were digging into that data? Um, what what was your process for discovering that? So the way the medical devices work is they um, transmit the data through Bluetooth. Um, that Bluetooth gets uploaded to the system and we're able to view the reports. Um, and without any data showing there, um, obviously you can tell that the patient's not using it, but whenever you go to check the modem of that device, um, it will not be able to call out. And then when you look into that further into the system, it's not going to be assigned like a device serial, the medical device serial number. It'll come up as a different serial number, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So you saw a little bit of discrepancy. Um, as an analyst, um, you know, from my perspective, what I see there's you know there's a bunch of different tools out there for doing um, data analytics. Data analytics um, from Excel, which is a shockingly powerful tool. Um, I think it's it's underrated in in the industry that um, you just it's a place where analysts live. Um, and then Viz with Tableau. Um, of those tools, what do you what do you typically use when you're doing that exploration or, or figuring that data? Um, so we use um, SAP currently. Um, I also use Excel heavily. Um, not too much like Tableau, Power BI, um, that sort of thing. Mainly the only visualizations are in Excel for um, this particular job. 
Okay. Um, have you have you used Tableau and do you use Tableau to do Viz? Um, I do. I use Tableau personally for my personal projects. Um, I have also used Power BI um, for my apprenticeship with John David. Perfect. Um, let's talk briefly about um, uh, Excel. Um, what? So one of the questions that I'll, I'll often ask is just kind of like, what? Sorry, I jumped out of out of mock interview and into talking about it. Um, so for Excel, can you tell me just kind of like, what are some you know Excel functions that you've re used re recently used? Um, so just basic statistical functions are a large part of my day. Um, count if, sum if, um, pivot tables are a big one. Um, pivot charts are a big part of my day as well. Mm -hmm. Doing that pivot, and then um, you mentioned so on personal projects. You mentioned that you do a little bit of Tableau. Um, where are those? Uh, do you do you store those? Are those Tableau public? Is it something that we could see? Yeah, I currently actually have those all uploaded into my Tableau public. Awesome, perfect. Um, and so, if we were doing a screen share and a demo, which just didn't work out at the moment, um, if we were to go and take a look at some of those Tableaus, maybe we can actually share that in the in the link afterwards, so people can mm -hmm. see them and see some of the work that you've done. Um, can you tell me like some of your tips and tricks for how you make a good looking Tableau? Like I, I think, um, is there a certain size you use for your canvas? How do you do like design elements? Um, yeah, so for me, and I know a lot of visualization comes down to like personal preference or what your company wants. Um, but for me, I use Canva a lot. I incorporate it into my visualizations. I find it great to make some aesthetically pleasing backgrounds. Um, I typically go 1200 by 1200 or 1400 by 1400 pixels. I make my Canva background the same as I would set it in Tableau. Um, I'll also make borders um, for my filter options in Canva as well. Great. And what about um, data storytelling within your Tableau? Is mm -hmm. it, Do you have an approach for um, how, how you want to, to pull out certain KPIs and how you want to highlight like, what are some of your favorite charts? So I like to start with my most important at the top. Um, and I like it to flow nicely, kind of as if you were reading it, it, it makes sense. Um, I don't, I try to keep it just simple and easily absorbable, I guess. <laughs> sure. Um, th that's, that's great. Um, can you tell me, so like, uh, you know, when you're doing Tableau uh, for personal projects, are you, what are you using as a data source typically? Um, typically I will get um, data sources from Kaggle, um, data.gov, um, because I have the healthcare background. I got a lot of my data from the CDC. Um, I always check to make sure they're, they're credible. Um, We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. 
So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Great. Um, So um, this is a super abbreviated and fast interview. I would ask you a couple more technical questions and we we would dig in and take a look at some of your, your viz and, and really, you know, talk about what story you were trying to tell and all of that. Um, to wrap up that the the kind of like mock interview portion of this, do you have any questions for me? At, at, you know, after we've kind of talked about this, um, as part of the interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at this point, I would typically ask you like what your expectations are of someone that you would hire for this role, like in a three three six month mark. Yeah. Um, so uh, as a data analyst, um, my expectation would be that um, you're going to be coming in and probably hitting the ground running. Um, we have quite a few uh, existing clients who have data viz up and running. And I, I believe that one of the best ways that you can get to know the data is just to start using it and start getting familiar. Um, as a data analyst, you're probably going to have some interaction with the client. And so you'll be um, talking with the client, starting to listen to kind of what the stories they're trying to tell are. We'll have a Jira board or a a board uh, that has a list of, of uh, known things that we want to do for that viz um, and how we want to develop. It may be that we have you on a new viz. I don't have a position like that open at the moment. So it really depends where exactly we are when we open that position. Um, but we would have um, probably a set of, of tasks and projects. And then as you become familiar with the data, you're going to be probably working with one or two or three clients. And so there's a bit of like jumping from one to the next. And uh, you would um, potentially develop with those clients new uh, dashboards. Um, You'll be working with the data engineers. And so when you want to build a dashboard, it's what data do I need? Is it available in the warehouse? Is it something the engineers need to build and make available? Um, sometimes really depending on how technical you are as an analyst, um, you would be in the data warehouse making views yourself so that you can expose those to Tableau and, and, and do that. Um, really, I believe that everybody's kind of on a spectrum of, um, what part of that data journey they're, they're most comfortable in. And so some people are going to be like more client focused and data viz focused and other people are going to be more data viz and data engineering. Other people are going to be data engineering and data science. And so everybody kind of fits in a slightly different spot there. And so that that would be a, kind of my expectation is the short answer to your question um, is that you come in, you pretty much hit the ground running with viz. You're working on existing viz. You're making new ones. Um, you're working with the client to get up to speed. And then by three to six months in, hopefully we have a new client coming in and we can assign you as a new analyst on that client and, and really get up to speed there. Okay, thank you. Um, I do have one other question. Sure. Um, I know so Analytica is kind of unique in that you work with a lot of different clients across a lot of different 
um, business types. So when it comes to your data viz tools, um, are those tools proprietary to Soul Analytica or are they proprietary to the organizations that you're working with? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I, I think um, I, it, because we're across a whole series of different industries, um, you know, our, our focus is small and mid-sized. And that means we're working with a lot of companies that aren't super technical. Um, in the end, they're paying us as consultants to build tooling that they then own. And so um, it, because they're paying us as consultants, they typically would own the work product. That said, um, there are there is tooling that is kind of universal across our clients. And so a lot of times um, we'll either have a conversation with the client saying, hey, we're building out this tool. Is it proprietary or is it something that we can build as Soul Analytica? And a lot of times it's less expensive for the client if we build it as Soul Analytica and then share it out and sell it, resell it to kind of multiple clients. And like Soul Vista is, is an example of that where we had... Um, a client who was looking for an embed solution. Um, we found a couple on the web and then determined that given that we had other clients who were looking for it also, and that we had some customized needs that, that it was worth building. And so we built it and we built it internally for our clients um, and got just like wonderful usage, wonderful reviews. We were able to take their feedback and incorporate it into the system. and. And now we've gotten to a point where um, we're opening that up. And so anybody on the web who wants to do embedded analytics and put their Tableau in there can do that. And so it's kind of a mix to the answer to your question. Um, most of the time, the clients are, are owning the proprietary software that we're building for them and, and the data warehouse structure that we're building for them. Um, occasionally, we'll see a use case where it makes sense for everybody to, to make it more broadly available across our clients. and. Our clients benefit, you know, from that. The small and midsize, it's it's a huge savings to know that coming to a company like Soul Analytica, we have these tools in the in the the wood shop so that we can use them for you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That was a great question. All right. Very cool. So I'm bringing on both Hunter, so podcast co-host here, and then. Kamar, I think you've been on the podcast, what, multiple times at this point, right? Uh, twice. Twice. So, okay. That was amazing, Charles. Thank you so much. I, I love that we just, the students just got like a back-end view of like what an interview would go like. Um, one thing that I think is interesting that we can kind of piggyback off of is, so Kamar, you have a background in design, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So how would you answer the question about how you design your visualizations? So Charles, uh, he, he does builds out his like tableau. It looks like something from the New York Times. It's just so like it looks like um like a like someone put it into a newspaper. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, for well, it depends. Um, I mean, it just depends. If it's my own personal thing, then I try to experiment. Um, if it's for a client, I try to see what they're used to and how they navigate a site. So um, everyone thinks that you, th like the board always goes left to right, but you can make them go right to left. Um, it just depends on how they use, um, how familiar they are with um, navigating a program or a website. And then I try to build it to, 
to um, their ease of use and what do they want upfront. And that's, that's my start by via client side. For my side, I try to experiment and see, okay, um, what colors am I limiting myself to or just use one color and try to make it easy to read, easily digestible and easily uh, able to navigate. So, Okay, so I've got an idea. So, Amanda, your, your site's up and running on Solanalytica. How about we have Charles and Kamar give you a review of the work that you've done? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You just throw us a curveball, sure thing. Yeah. <laughs> so Amanda, you can you can share your screen, um, okay, and yeah. then and this is this is great because uh, Charles, this gives you some an opportunity to demo this so that people can kind of see. Because it's one thing to talk about it at a high level, and those those of you who are going to listen to this later as a podcast on iTunes or Spotify or something, um, you can go to our YouTube channel to check out um, this to actually get to see the um, like what the nitty gritty of what's going on. Because I, I think the Charles, actually, this is an interesting question, and it also buys us some time to get Amanda to get that pulled up. Um, when you do technical interviews, how much of it is like you're going to have them screen share and, and walk through versus kind of ask them about? Because it's funny because the the post that I made promoting this episode, I mentioned that like there's two things about acing your technical interview. It's like knowing how to click the buttons and actually operate the tools. But the second point that I think most people miss, it's a lot more subtle, is understanding why. So like how, and this this is where judgment comes in. So two people can have access to the same tool, have the same tool knowledge, but one understands the business acumen and can make it sing and can make it drive sales up or reduce costs or, you know, just make the overall business, the margin run more efficiently. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Uh, I heard a couple questions in there. I'll kind of take them <laughs> a step at a step at a time. Um, when I'm doing a technical interview, and this interview was a little less technical than a lot of them, but it, um, my interview process is first we're going to do kind of an intro email, uh, intro interview where it's really high level, and really the things that I'm looking for um, is what is your relationship with data? How, are, do you get excited about it? Is it a part of your life? Um, there, there are, there's just a set of people who are driven and excited by data. And so you don't necessarily have to be that because you could have really amazing other skills. Um, but that's a really, that's a key component of one of the things that I'm looking for in, um, in that initial interview. In the initial interview, I'm also, um, kind of checking to see if they, if the candidate knows what they're talking about. If the things on their resume are legit, there's a shocking number of people who um, are interviewing that aren't real people. Um, and there's a whole story behind that um, that I don't think we need to, to really go to. But um, yeah, there, and so it's sussing out, is this a legit candidate? Um, you can kind of do that with the resumes, but sometimes, and it happens, you get into that first round interview and you're like, who am I talking, why are they, getting answers like they're reading answers off their screen that somebody else is typing for them or something you know those are kinds of things that 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 you call out in and then it's really like would we do a second interview and then in the second interview it gets much more technical often and so okay. and this is my style everybody has a different style um in the second interview we would potentially do a screen share and coding example so um live sql coding or um or live Tableau development. So we can see how the person works and really what kinds of questions they ask. Um, 
Charles, that was the first of this questions. is amazing. Uh, this is literally the questions I get all the time. So I'm just going to send them to this video. Like if you're worried about an interview, go ch check out. <laughs> so, you, yeah. so, and you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. Like you're literally someone who hires analysts to where as a yeah. professor, you know, I can teach, but it's like, I just need to, it's funny, the lazier I am and I bring you on, like I wasn't even on screen for 20 minutes of this episode, the better it gets. <laughs> all right. So what we got now is this. Amanda, is, this looks awesome. Yeah. Soul Analytica interface. Amanda, you've embedded. Actually, I'm robbing you of an opportunity. Amanda, you tell me what's going on here. Okay, so um, this was a really cool opportunity um, that Charles and Soy Analytica uh, provided me. Um, so this is going to be where you're going to be able to host your portfolio. Um, so I can, you can. Um, upload your tableau um visualizations you can see them on the side here and i'll just pull it up full screen all right so what, okay. what are we looking at so right um this so um this data set is for a fictitious company um Quantigration incorporated um i analyzed their customers, their orders, and their return merchandise um, to figure out where their biggest customer base is, where their smallest customer base is, which products are being ordered the most, in which regions, and which products are being returned the most, and why. Gotcha. All right, Kamara, it's your, your moment to shine. Give us some feedback. How's the... Uh... So, okay, one thing that you mentioned was you want to make sure that you check in with the um, end user on how they're used to using things like using the web. Um, so you're to make that explicit, you're talking about user experience, right? Yes. And what's funny is that there's a whole meme in the analytics space about, you know, pie charts need to die, but I can't tell you the amount of times consulting that the client wants to see their data in a pie chart and it may not be best practice, but that's what they want to see. And, you know, I mean, you, you've got, it's kind of, you got to th thread the needle a little bit of, you know, what's good for them versus what they're used to, and maybe over time, move them, move them towards, you know, a more effective way of, of consuming data. Yeah, it's not really the visual, it's how they flow through, um, like, do they have, do they click mostly on the left or on the right? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so that's where you would tend to put your filters. So I know if they're clicking on the right-hand side, uh, sometimes right-handed people um, click on the right more than left-handed people. Um, so that's also another thing that I notice. Um, yeah, um, I have the benefit of seeing this before. <laughs> um, uh, but I would say that it was a, I like the spacing of things. Um, the colors, I would say to knock back um, the empty space of the donut chart so that the, <clears throat> the actual values pop a little bit more so you're able to see that better. Um, so that would be one thing that I would say. The filters, um, I would probably raise them up a little bit. Um, so you have a line at the top that um, is in your logo that you could oh, that's true. kind of have that flow over into the filter. Yeah, that would look a lot neater. So, it, it, yeah, 
it points over there. Um, so that's another thing that I would do. I would raise that up a little bit, or you could put that dotted line above the filter. So it lines up with that line. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, Amanda, could you try clicking that little um, full screen icon down in the bottom? I, I can't tell if we're, yeah. if you're getting yeah. like a portion. Oh no, that's exit full screen. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it must just be the sizing that. Yeah. yeah. It'd be really, I think from a flow perspective, it'd be good to see the whole thing. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. On Go that ahead. note, Charles, um, what, yeah. Amanda, what you can do on the on go. the dashboard oh, is is okay. Yeah, you can you can set it so it um it, it automatically fits the screen and it'll scale it up and down um, to where mm -hmm. yeah okay. See now from a UI perspective, you got a scroll bar, which you know. I, it is a lot of information. So maybe that's how I do my largest client. Actually, that's what they want. They want one dashboard and they want to scroll down versus I have other clients who want page one, click to page two, and then that's how they want, want it consumed. But yeah, it was good. Sorry, Charles, I'll cut you off. Um, I, I love, I, I, I love the comment about pie charts. Um, I, I will <laughs> in defense of pie charts, there is a very occasional case where um, it, you do want a pie chart. I've got a client who um, has, you know, a set of data. It is literally like a hundred thousand and this month, 30,000 of them were this thing and 50,000 of them were this other thing. And so it, that's a spot where there's a pie chart, but generally hundred percent agree. Um, right. It, it's a very limited use case where you would actually want a pie chart. Um, I will say, I will say in defense of these pie charts, they do have, you know, points right. that show like percentages. Yeah. So you can very easily say, oh, Southwest, that's right below 10% right there. So I would say it's a good addition to these pie charts. All right. So yeah. from a data visual, this is a little pop quiz question. I'm putting you guys in the hot seat. Why? Why are pie charts generally not best practice in data viz? When you got uh, 20 and 20.2 <laughs> and you're visual in that and uh, yeah, right. in a pie chart. <laughs> So, okay, yeah, so it's, it's, it can be very cluttered, but there's like a very concrete reason as to why. Like, okay, let me, I'll, I'll guide you guys a little bit. Why is the bar chart better, generally speaking? Well, why, okay, actually, the bar chart is like the default, if you've noticed that in Tableau. Like, generally, they put it into a bar chart most of the time when you pull in data. Why is that as opposed to a, a, a pie chart? You got me on uh, that one. <laughs> re really? Come, come on, I thought you would get that. So our eyes are really good. If we have a synced axis, we can tell the difference in links. But our eyes can't tell the difference between a 45 and a 43 degree angle. But if you were to line up 43 versus 45, you could see that 45 was slightly larger than the other. So that's just kind of some data visualization best practice there. But that depends on your screen. What do you mean? If your screen... Um, because I, I ran into this problem um, while animating. Um, it's it's still difficult, whether it's a pie chart or a bar chart, if the numbers are, are pretty small. So you have low, that's True. why you have those indicators. And if you, your screen you is, um, if you're like before, um, this was a pr huge problem with um, uh, aliasing, where if they're too close together, um, before HD came out, you couldn't tell the difference, even if they're a little bit off because oh, of the, the flickering on the screen. So if the screen is 
flickering top for and then bottom top and then bottom they look the same interesting true yeah that's really interesting um amanda i know you have another vision here do you want to pop out of full screen and maybe go to the um the third one i think that's that you've got set up yeah The I think it's the um, quantigration. Is that what it is? Um, so, so one of the things. Go ahead. Yeah, tell us about awesome. this dashboard, and I can tell you what I really like about this one. Okay. Very cool. Wait, is that the same one? Okay, uh, so this sorry, music and mental health. Like the first. Um, yeah. So this one is music and mental health. Right, I remember this one. This this one's got a very like artistic feel to it. Yeah, no, that looks cool. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about this one? So, um, this one I analyzed the effect that different genres of music as well as Beats Permanent had on different um, categories of mental health disorders. Cool. Um, so I really found the um, scatter plots on this one interesting. Um, and, it, you know, it's having the grid and seeing how, like, it was just a really unique way of showing the kind of combination of, like, each pairing of factors and obviously like the factor to itself is one-to-one -one. and so you see that that line pop out there but i also liked um the way you did the interactivity here it's very straightforward it's pretty simple so if you go to that pick your favorite genre and you can just uh in that pull down menu switch to a different one um i i really like that um i'd be interested to hear like visual feedback um from somebody from, else from Kamara yeah. what do you think from, yeah, from me <laughs> um, yeah you're the Viz you're the Viz guy I mean this is what you've done for what 10 years now <laughs> yeah um yeah like I really love this um I didn't get to see it finished so I saw some of the beginning parts and you changed some things um I would say um my favorite part is the the left and the bottom the scatter plot becomes a little bit noisy Mm -hmm. uh, because of the volume of them. But I do like them if you're able to um, filter the options with the scatter plot, that would work best. Like so if you had a filter, that, meaning had a filter that um, like depression, anxiety, insomnia, you'd like select one of them, one row. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. To piggyback off what uh, Kamar said, maybe build this into a storyboard in Tableau, where um, point one is overview. Point two could be um, the entire thing is the scatter plot. So that's it takes up all all of the space. And then yeah, I think making it interactive where you can drill down on um, you know the specific boxes. What's interesting is um, this is where I think Power BI actually might be a little bit more um, effective from visualization standpoint, which usually I like Tableau more than I like Power BI, but you can click on um, specific visits and then blow them up that could take up the whole space, which I'm not sure how to do that. I think you'd have to like 
there's nothing I think built into Tableau to do that at the moment. But yeah, so we we do actually uh, two of those types of things. Um, we do some of our clients do. Um, oh, cool. So the one the concept of storyboarding. Um, if you pop out and show kind of the frame of Solvista again, um, Amanda, um, what our clients will do is um, here you go. So those sections on the nav on the left are completely configurable and you can move them around. And so they'll make a big, uh, a big section that might be like, let's tell the story about this ad campaign, right? Mm -hmm. And then if they want to storyboard it, they might have three or four dashboards that are related to that and they'll make a link for each of them. And so the expectation is that somebody might come in as a sale, like if they're selling, if they're going to a client and doing a sales pitch or like a, a QBR, a quarterly business review, they would click on the first link and then click the second, third, fourth. And so they can tell that story in a sequence. Um, you can also in Tableau um, kind of make drill through work. So you can set it up so that when you hit a link on a dashboard, it actually within the dashboard kind of goes to another view or another dashboard there. And so um, Interesting. That's, that's something else that, that we've got clients who are doing that for sure. Yeah, well, now that I'm thinking about it, um, th didn't they introduce a couple years back where you can actually have a data visualization embedded into a tooltip feature? You, so you, you hover can. over it and then you can see it. But I don't think that takes up the full screen, can it? I haven't um, done that in years. So you can make that hover tooltip kind of any size that you want. Um, oh, cool. I, I do caution my clients against that because Tableau tends to preload all those tooltips and so it can have a performance impact and so oh, if yeah, you're going to do that you need to be you need to be careful about like what you're putting in there and how many of them there are on the page um, because sometimes people get a little tooltip happy um, <laughs> and so they just need to be you know kind of guided towards what works um, and, and what's the best end user experience so Charles, um, these kinds yeah. of thoughts are what you were looking for when you're asking tactical interview questions yeah exactly and um you know, everybody has, I think, an important thing to know about interview interviewing in general um, is that you're really looking for the best match between somebody's skills and what the company is looking for. And there are lots and lots and lots of companies out there. So if what you're finding as a candidate is, if your skills aren't exactly what people are looking for, then, um, then you know, it, it's fine. Like there's, there's other companies out there. And from a company perspective, it's fine. There's other candidates out there, you know, at any given time, there's, you know, thousands of jobs that are available that are in the ballpark for any one candidate. And most of them are not the right job for that candidate. And so um, I think that's, it's an important part of the interview process is really acknowledging that it's a, it's both like the candidate is interviewing the company to see if it's if it's like where they want to work and the company is interviewing the candidate to see if the skills that that candidate has is, is what they're looking for. Um, when you're doing an interview, um, you're also kind of interviewing into that in that employer's network, especially in small, small mid-sized businesses. Um, if I'm looking for a data engineer, and somebody who has is much more is much stronger as a data scientist or a, a data analyst. I have a network of other small and mid-sized businesses that I'm working with that you know it may occur to me, oh, this person's really great for this other position, 
And so when I'm listening, what I'm listening for is from a technical perspective is does this person have the skill set that I'm looking for for the position that I currently have open? And I've also got in the back of my mind like future positions that I know may be coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the pieces that I'm that I'm looking for when I'm doing a technical interview is do they have the specific set of skills? Um, but from the um, that that kind of initial interview, there's not really wrong answers. And that's an important thing to know. I mean, I guess technically there are wrong answers if you just literally give the wrong answer. But, um, <laughs> but you know, when I'm asking, like, what is it that excites you about data? Um, th- there's not really a, a wrong answer there. It's, it's I, I want to hear your story. And what I'm looking for is things you say that allow me to ask the next question and, and cu- guide me in the direction of what my next question is going to be so that I navigate through my list of things that I'm trying to get out of the interview mm-hmm. in a way that flows and feels comfortable. I have a question for you, Charles. Um, yeah. What, what, is, what are the, some of the biggest problems that you see with, with candidates that you're interviewing? Like what's like the, the biggest thing that maybe, maybe stands out to you is like, oh, maybe, maybe we're not looking for this and this. Maybe we're not looking for this uh, person to hire. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a couple things. I mean, first off, is this isn't a real candidate um that happens um that's like an immediate they're out um second off is or or secondly there's a whole like next set of things um in terms of um i guess what would be some specific examples it may be that um maybe somebody comes on and they're super um trying to say this in a way that my existing candidates who might be watching the video um, uh, don't think too hard about it. Um, I'll take an example from from longer ago. Um, There are just cases where somebody comes in and they ask inappropriate questions. Um, And when I say that, uh, you know, when you're hiring, there's just things about like, you don't ask about somebody's family or their age or, uh, the race. There's just like a set of of kind of legal things that, as a wait, as interesting. A you're not family. It, like, like that's I, I haven't ever asked that in an interview or anything like that. But why is that? Um. So as a as an interviewer, you need to be careful about um anything okay. that might expose age or or gender or, or like those types of things. Like, there's a there's a set of things that you need to just be a little bit careful about. Mm-hmm. Um. As a candidate, if you're going and asking those things, it's just it, like we're here professionally. Um, okay. And so there's just some things sometimes. I mean, I'm just thinking of a specific example that happened for me. Um, if I catch a candidate lying about stuff, um, you know, if there's stuff on their resume that doesn't match with what their experience is, if their resume is um, exaggerated for what they do, or they claim to know stuff that that you start asking questions and it just doesn't add up um or you know i mean there there's so many unique scenarios and i've taught i've done enough interviews that i've seen some some kind of exciting unique scenarios and and, you know sometimes it's just not right i get that well okay so to circle back to the family thing 
one of the things that I, that I tell the students when I'm coaching them on, like, tell me about yourself is that, you know, it's like a sentence about your past and about a sentence about your present a sentence about your future. Um, you could include personal things. And it, that I was thinking maybe like, if you're both a parent, maybe that's an emotional bid where, where you can like kind of connect as a human thing. Um, yeah. But I guess it would be more of, Hey, you know, I've got a family of five or whatever. And then they're like, Oh, I do too. Where I'm, you're not like, Oh, do you have kids? Is, is that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll back off of that family thing. I just had a specific example in my head that was like super inappropriate that I've had happen to me okay. uh, with a candidate in the past. Um, it, yeah, there's nothing wrong with. Um, and in fact, I would strongly encourage making a personal connection with your, right. with your interviewer. I think that. Well, yeah, I could, um, I could see it, age and race being kind of like, you know, hot, especially because I think ageism is, is real um, in the workforce. And that's something I think a lot of, a lot of people, um, struggle with, especially like if they're, you know, a little bit older trying to break into a new space. I think that's, um, that is kind of a struggle, um, for them. This is just kind of what we're, we're starting to, to notice, which of course everyone says, no, it's not, you know, it's, but, and it, it could be also the relationship to, um, someone in an older generation, how they relate to technology versus someone who, you know, I mean, the, Gen Z is, has grown up with a, a cell phone since they were a child. So. Yeah, there there are. Um, uh, it's a really complicated question about how ageism ex exists in our industry, because I can tell you, at being somewhat gray myself, um, <laughs> I can tell you that you know I have a lot of people my age that I know and older than me that have been on the bleeding edge their entire life, and mm -hmm. they are they are just as digitally native as anybody who's coming in as digital native now. Um, it's also true that some people don't continue to innovate throughout their career. Right. And this is an industry where you just have to continually reinvent yourself and, and teach yourself new things. Um, you know, if you're out there uh, still writing Fortran, um, there is a place for you, but it is a small place in a <laughs> few large companies that still are using that. Um, it, it, and I don't think that's an ageism thing. I think that's just literally a skill set right. thing that, and those people who do Fortran, by the way, get paid a lot because not many people do it anymore. So it's not the worst place to be. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So how about this? So Charles, can you walk us through your career path? And I think um, the students, um, if if there's anything that you kind of want, you can basically pause Charles and say, hey, can you stop there and, and, and go deeper into that? Um, so Charles, you, you got just a very, very impressive um resume so do you just want to like kind of walk us through that um well thank you i i think it's just what's happened to my life i've been lucky to get a bunch of opportunities to do different things um i i also want to give if we have the time for it, amanda a chance to ask okay. like specific other questions that she had about the interview but um you know it, i know we're we're trying to stay within our hour block or whatever we have for the the podcast well um, i'm, I'm so, open if do you have a hard stop i do hour? not no no, no I'm okay. i don't so uh, yeah, we can go run a little bit longer if if, if okay. you want to get both of those in there. Sure. So um, I'll do a real brief walkthrough of my career, um, and I'll kind of accelerate towards the beginning because I think it's important for your um, your cohort mm -hmm. of people who are watching, and then kind of more towards the end because maybe more general. I don't know. We'll see. So um, at the beginning, um, I had a, a a brief period where I was really kind of at a small company, I got exposed to a lot of different things and I was able to kind of um, 
navigate through the full tech stack. Um, and so I came into that company as kind of a front end engineer, dev and designer. Um, and I really quickly moved through from front end to back end, actually front end, like design to front end implementation to front end engineering to back end and then to database and then to data warehousing. And I was able to do that in a short amount of time um, because I was in a small company, we had to wear a lot of different hats. And then I just naturally gravitated towards the data stuff. It's it's always been like, I, as a kid, I, I don't know, wrote the lottery to ask for data. I like had them mail me back when you would mail stuff. Um, I had to mail me information about odds. And so just like, whatever, you know, I've always been a data person. So at that company, I migrated from, from to the data warehousing and then went to a bigger um, company that did, we were basically an Instacart um, competitor before there was Instacart. We, we were one of the first ones doing click to, to um, click and collect. Like when you go to the grocery store website, hold that. And then the, 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 the groceries are ready for you to pick up. Um, and so right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what you're, what I'm hearing is your first job was for a smaller company and you wore a bunch of hats. Then you went to a larger company where you're a lot more kind of siloed and into, or, or I should say the data is, the role is much more defined. Um, what, um, so we brought on um, Katie Underwood, who's now a coach for us. She's built out, she's worked for a huge company, but she's also built out a whole analytics team for a smaller company. And some of the advice that she gave Hunter here was um, one of the benefits of working for a larger company early on is that you get a stronger mentor type figure to where if you're at a smaller mm -hmm. company, you're basically doing the cutting edge work. Like you're solving problems without guidance. Um, which do you think is more valuable or, or I guess is, is it more just like a personality fit? Yeah. I literally don't think there's a better path through that. Um, I think it's, it's going to be depending on who you are and what opportunities come up in front of you. Having, I, I had a great mentor when I went to that bigger company that I went to. Um, and to be fair, it was still a smart startup and it was small when I joined it, but it was bigger than the previous company. Um, I had a terrific mentor there and I learned a ton from him. He was really supportive of me and my career and really was able to help me grow. Um, and so I totally hear that that would be valuable. I also, um, now that I'm doing consulting and working with lots of different small companies, I really see the value as early in your career going and working for a consulting company. I'm not just pitching like come work for Soul Analytica. Um, I, I, you know, I see people who have gone to like Slalom or Proficient or one of those other bigger consulting companies and been able to see a bunch of different industries and see mm -hmm. that as much as all these different industries have data, really the processes and the way you manage and control and, and, and manage data underneath is the same. And so by getting a broad list of industries and, and like having a cross vertical, like horizontally seeing stuff, um, you get to see the similarities between all those different uh, uh, use cases. And that also has a huge benefit. And so I, I think there's a lot of benefit to being a small company and wearing a lot of hats. I think there's a huge benefit to being in a big company and really getting to be in a developed environment where like, there's actually a real HR system and benefits and layers of management where there's some institutional knowledge and you can learn from that and see what kind of works. 
and what doesn't. Um, and then also being at a consulting company where you get to see a bunch of different companies. All of those are really um, part of making you making a real well-rounded person by the time you're in your like 40s and 50s. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, well, I worked in the startup space with Silvertone. Um, and that I, I feel like this has been, I mean, as far as my education is concerned, it's been one of the most educational experiences that I've had. Um, and I worked in oh. consulting. Oh, okay, okay. Come on. <laughs> I worked in I worked in consulting for uh, probably closer to a year. Probably closer to a year. I worked in consulting, but that was with Silvertone, and then individually as well. Um, so, like you said, I feel like I feel like I have had the opportunity to wear many hats. And whereas now I'm kind of looking for that next thing to learn. And I think that in a bigger firm, it might be easier to, to find that for me. Um, like I had the opportunity recently to speak with uh, Cameron, Wal Cameron Wanick. He's the VP of supply chain uh, and IT for uh, Ashley Furniture. Um, and he was telling me about how for their company, they use low-code, no-code systems. And I've never used low-code, no-code systems. I've been, you know, super on board with the, you know, Excel functions and, and code this, code that, make sure all the data is accurate. Um, and it didn't even really occur to me. So that was just another, that's just another example of, you know, some of these companies, they have, they have different ways of viewing analytics outside of the super technical stuff that I'm used to. Okay. All right. So Charles, you work for a smaller company got to wear a bunch of hats. Then you went into a larger company, got some great mentorship, saw a more mature organization. Did you go from analyst to, um, was the, was the role different? So I came in uh, from the data engineering side. Um, okay. Everybody, lots of data analysts. There's, there's so many different paths. Some people come in wanting to data science. They come in as an analyst. They make their way through to data science. Some people come in as a data engineer. Um, some people come in as a business analyst and just get sucked into the data. It, like there's lots of paths. I came in as a data engineer. Um, I came in building these systems and then had the opportunity to lead the team and then kind of grow from data engineering to doing analysis and, and, and working with the analyst team to kind of the director level for data and analytics in general um, and, and getting to be kind of in that position where I was working making the whole team saying and, and doing the full spectrum of that. Um, that, that was my path. Um, you know, there's, there's people who are just as successful who come from the data science or the data analytics portion of that spectrum. Um, it, it, that's just, everybody has a different path. Um, after that company, um, uh, web grocer, um, I came out here for, a, a, I mean, LA where we're getting a blizzard apparently today up in the mountains, <laughs> um, which is unusual. Um, so uh, I came out here, worked briefly for another company and then as a director of analytics or data uh, analytics again, um, and then started working with what was the precursor to Sol Analytica. Um, it was me and one other person. I was the CTO. CTO, we were doing analytics for small and midsize um, and COVID hit. And um, he he just had family commitments. And so I took over the business. We renamed it Soul Analytica. And then we've been growing like crazy since um, uh, doing that and doing the, the consulting and the software and the software development. That's um, awesome. All right. Yeah. Um, 
One or two questions about his career path, and then we can jump into flipping the script, and then we can ask you about your interview process. You guys have any questions about the um, career trajectory? Uh, no questions about that. I'm kind of uh, surprised, but the question I do have is um, your current vision versus the vision you had, um, I guess, your second job. Like, what was the what's something that you could have told yourself back then that would have uh, been monumental help? Uh, something that I would have told myself then. Um, That's a good question. I may have suggested um, going off and doing consulting and getting that experience across multiple different companies. Um, that's something that I, I wouldn't call it a regret at all, um, but it is something that if I were to have the, the the 2020 hindsight to like manage my career a little differently, I might have done that between the small company and the the medium size to, to bigger company that I worked at. Um, just to have just to get that experience in that said i wouldn't do it any differently than i've done it i mean i was i i have been super lucky to have the opportunities that i have had um as i've as i've gone through it's just it's it's i mean it's it's luck and it's a lot of work to be in the right place at the right time but it's been really wonderful i mean when i took that job i literally saw the posting knew it was right hopped on a plane the next day flew there to meet the people at a job fair wow. got the, and then but it was a year and a half between that and when i actually got the position at that company um so it was really like lay the foundation and then eventually it it kind of worked out um, but it took some time because they weren't in a spot where they were ready to hire somebody to manage their data warehouse yet and so Analytica, at this point, I know that they would have been in the spot to, to hire somebody for a quarter time to do their their data stuff. Um, but yeah, maybe that's that's uh, the, the quick answer is that maybe I would have done that consulting for a period. Maybe I would have done like a sales engineering position because um, starting up Soul Analytica with no sales background really at all and then having to like throw myself into that and learn it on the fly. It's been exciting. It's been fun. Um, but if I had had sales at background, maybe that's another piece that would have rounded out my career and made me more ready for this. But, um, you know, I, I think I was ready for it when I took it on. Gotcha. Hunter, do you have a question? Uh, Kamar stole my question. <laughs> I was going to ask if there's something that you could go back in time and change. What would you do? I guess. Yeah. No, I, I love those kinds of questions because it kind of looks back at it was, it's interesting because I, I worked at, um, a $12 billion company as an intern for two semesters during my MBA. And then I quickly realized that that's not the right environment for me. So I think um, as you work through the, the job, just thinking critically about, is this an environment where I thrive or is it not? So where um, Charles, I went the opposite where I would, I had two internships and then I turned my last internship into uh, actually I had three internships, turn the last internship with a smaller company into my first consulting engagement and then just never, really worked as a W2 employee in this space, which is not advisable. Most people say go work for 10 years and come back. Um, but, you know, I mean, seem to have made it way at work. And also to getting that wide breadth of experience, you know, because I've worked with all different kinds of companies on all different, you know, verticals within a business. So that that's given me a really wide insight into that. We have had a, 
we have had a few people ask us in the comments um, if they, if you have any advice for people transitioning into um, analytics. Yeah, there's a out. couple. There's a couple yeah. questions. So Michael, uh, Michael Matia, he's actually trying to tr transition from the trades into the analytics space. Um, do you have any advice there? Um, yeah. So one, just do as much practice and get as much data under your um, under your fingers as you can. Um, go, like uh, Amanda mentioned, she was going out to Kaggle. Um, that is a great place to go and get ideas for projects um, to think, things to work on. Um, go to Tableau Public, look at what other people have done. Try and replicate that if you want to be on the Tableau dev side. Like there's, there's so much you can do for free um, of things that are just out there. Um, I mean, maybe it's overwhelming. There's so many things, but right. um, do what's interested in you. Um, if you're coming from a trade, more and more businesses are generating data. Um, your tools that you're working with, uh, depending on what trade it is, but almost all of them, Internet of Things is making its way in there and those tools are generating data. And so take an opportunity to go work with the data that's familiar to you and, and what it is that you're working with. You know, if you're, um, you know, uh, I can't actually give a good example off the top of my head. I've got, but a, I've got it, a great example, actually. Yeah. Um, so our social media coach, Ian Clausewitz, um, he's actually here. He's, he's 30 minutes south of me here in North Carolina. Um, he was a year ago. He was working in a warehouse, somehow found yeah. out how to get access to their Excel data, built and started analyzing that to then, um, you know, give advice to their management team, then interviewed for an entry level analyst job and got it. What yep. makes that even more insane is that he doesn't even have a college degree. So it's that, that work experience and being able to drive that business decision. Um, yeah. What I think is interesting, that kind of speaks poorly about, I think, a lot of higher education. It's not what it used to be. I, I feel like, a, 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 especially in the analytics space, there seems to be a growing void between what's taught and then what is actually going on out in the industry. I think that's something to the trade question specifically, too. Um, it is 100% not a requirement for my candidates and my employees to have a... a a bachelor's like it doesn't they don't have to i think i think that you can go and learn these skills and be really good at them without that um it certainly helps having the theoretical background that comes from having a, a computer science uh degree and and or a master's degree in something that's computer science and science related especially if you're in there doing the the data engineering but i think it's fair to say that data is going to become more like a trade in that right. you can get certified, you can get the skills that you need. And the reality is you can do what a company needs and be really successful. And you don't necessarily have to have that, that mass, that bachelor's mm -hmm. degree. Um, I don't think it's saying anything negative about the state of the, the industry though, or the, the academics, because there's still a lot of value in um, other paths that allow you to get the technical to allow you to get the theoretical knowledge and when you have that theoretical knowledge it makes the rest of your career when you're switching to different tools uh it, it's it's much more accessible because you understand what is going on underneath and why those tools are actually the same even though they're slightly different implementations of the same thing and so you get a you get a different picture when you have that that um academic background. Charles, it is so validating to hear you say that analytics is becoming like a trade. We're literally calling our program an apprenticeship, which is what, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. the, the model for trade schools. 
So um, very cool. That's uh, that's very reassuring for kind of the future vision that I've laid out as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, but okay, so we're actually over an hour. So Amanda, do you have any questions about Charles um, and his interview process? Yeah, so we just have a few. Um, and a lot of it we've already covered. Um, we've already kind of covered the specific interview format that you follow. So I'm going to kind of shift that a little bit to how many rounds of interviews do you typically do or do you feel is enough? Um, so I try to do my interviews pretty efficiently. Um, I'll typically do an intro, like welcome first round interview. And then my second round interview is going to be a technical one where I bring in somebody from the company, probably from the team that that person will be working with, whether it's data engineering, software engineering, analytics. Um, and so we'll have a second conversation. And then what I do in that second interview is part conversation and part um, live coding example, whether that's um, a, a Python on-screen kind of test uh, or SQL or Tableau. Typically, those would be the three that I would do um, to see just how adept the person is at the skills they say they have, but also to throw them a curveball or two and see what their approach to learning is. Are they going to take that and go look on Google? Are they going to just ask questions? Um, are they going to bang until they figure it out? Um, there's not a wrong answer there. It's just it's it's for knowing about style so that we can put together a team that has the right mix of styles and skills so that we can be most successful. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, obviously, when you're hiring somebody, you want someone that can do the job. Um, but other than that, what are your top three things that you're looking for in a candidate? Yeah, so job, I think I've already mentioned um, that being a data company, um, you just, you really should have a love of data and a, a like, eat and breathe it. Um, I'm also, because we're still small, looking for a bit of entrepreneurial spirit um, a, and a willingness to go and figure things out, throw yourself in. You know, uh, I saw an interview with Pink and she was talking about her Trust Falls most recent song. And um, th there's a huge part of that that you have to be willing to do that in the small business environment is just like throw yourself to the universe and see what happens. Um, so I look for a little bit of that. Um, that question, I will have a very different answer for a year and a half to two years from now when Solar Analytica is in a bigger spot and we're probably looking for slightly different roles. But for right now, that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. Okay. And then since a lot of the, the listeners are looking for more junior roles, when mm -hmm. you're interviewing for a junior role, are you looking do you value willingness to learn over like real world experience someone who's already done like an apprenticeship and an internship that kind of thing um i think those go hand in hand i think um the fact that somebody has an apprenticeship or has gone and taken a, a you know a set of courses like john david's or have you know gone through a program or taken the initiative um to do their own projects on the side that they're excited about and want to show that shows that. And so um, I'm looking for the aptitude to learn and the ability. And I think you can show that by either having had experiences in the working workplace, um, you know, at, for the junior position, I get some people who have two years of experience at a company 
I get some people who are straight out of school who are interviewing and um, there are paths that are successful for both of those. So to piggyback off that, um, what do you feel about online courses? Or do they do like course badges? Do they move the needle as far as being impressed at all? Um, so they're all different. Um, I certainly would not hire somebody just because they had a badge. Like okay. you, you gotta, I so mean, maybe that helps get in the door and, and validate that you have some of these skills, but there are other ways that do it for me as well. Well, I'm asking that um, question with intention because there seem to be a large contingency of people trying to get in the space that instead of applying for jobs, they'll take 50 online courses and just after, after one, after another, after another. And um, I mean, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot here as a published LinkedIn author, but I mean, LinkedIn, it's like uh, edutainment. It's like very light on the learning, more about like entertaining you mm -hmm. um, and their hour long courses. Like you're not, you're, you're getting kind of an, like a cookie cutter. Here's the step-by-step -step process to where I think what shows in the interview is like what we were talking about with maybe embedding a visualization in the tool tip. That's not typically going to be in one of these, you know, intro to Tableau courses. So if you go and start playing around with it a little bit more, I think that shows kind of that interest that you're, you're really looking for. Yeah. Um, it might start to be a yellow flag for me if I came into somebody's resume and they had like 10 or 15 or 30 of those certificates. <laughs> it's like, well, so what are you, is that what you're spending your time on doing? <laughs> like, yeah. Wait, what does that signal to you? Um, poor judgment. Not necessarily poor judgment, but maybe time management, maybe a, maybe a, a, not an ability to kind of pick and choose the most important things to share on your resume. Because if you've got 20 certs, right. most likely only three of them are relevant to the specific job that you're mm -hmm. applying to. Um, gotcha. Or if they're all relevant to that, only three or four are actually important for that job. I, I, that just is a, I mean, it's pretty rare to see a resume that has that many. I'd probably not interview somebody that had that many just because there would be other things on their resume that would probably throw me off as well. This <laughs> is like a whole uh, cluster of things. Yeah. Uh, Mina, is that, is that your last question? Yep, that's it. Hunter, Kamar, you got anything? No. All right. um, well, we I, was, went, we I really like this background. What you were saying? No, I, I didn't have any questions because um, my background is frayed or I see it as frayed uh, where his uh, felt more streamlined or it was consistent within the same field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some I mean, of that may be survivorship bias, bias of the things that I, I could have done and didn't and didn't make it into my uh, career path. Um, you mm -hmm. know, I've been, I've been fairly entrepreneurial all my life. I didn't tell you about a couple of failed like side ventures that I had ideas <laughs> yeah, about yeah. and didn't turn into anything, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it may be that looking at it from now, it looks like a straight path, but it was not a straight path. Right. And then also too, Kamar, we've talked about this in our coaching calls. Um, Charles, it sounds like you've done a good job of kind of taking hold of your, your narrative and, and making it, you know, somewhat logical. And also like it, it builds on, on top of itself. Um, but part of that is just like how you're critically thinking about it and how you can leverage your past to succeed in the future. 
I think that's a fair statement. And I think it goes into the like looking back at it and, and building a narrative. Um, I, you know, I've, I've been in the business and in the industry now for, for a long time. So I've had an opportunity to, to make some detours on that path and then end up on the right path um, or on the path that I'm currently on. I don't know, maybe if you talk to me 10 years and I'll be retelling my story and this whole soul analytica part will be <laughs> one of those side paths that I don't talk about. Um, probably not, I think at this point, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, it is exciting. It's an opportunity. You just, you take your path. And um, I, I think some of the being thrown into the sales portion of this is you're right. John David talking about the taking hold of the narrative and, and designing that narrative around the experiences that you've gotten an opportunity to have. Right. And because having that future vision of where you want to go, um, it kind of illuminates the right path so that you, you have some more prudence with your decision-making. Yep. To where most people kind of just get kicked around based on whatever's immediately in front of them. But Charles, this has been amazing. And we, we covered so it, we're a minute, we're a, not a minute, an hour and 17 minutes in. I feel like our students have just gotten so much value. So thank you. This so is one of the best time. episodes that we've ever <laughs> recorded. <laughs> oh, well that, I mean, this has been super fun. I'm so glad to have been here. Um, I'm getting a text from one of the, one of the people at the company. Um, we're going to go ahead and do this. Um, the soul, the soul Vista, um, site for, um, doing a, an embedded viz and the job seeker package that we just created. Um, because we're in beta, we're going to do a like three week trial for anybody who just happens to be watching this. So if you want to come and try it out, we're going to do a discounted price. Um, so we'll have a coupon code. We'll put that in the thing and you can come yeah. and do soul Vista. Um, I got to give awesome. my team props for, for sending that to me and reminding me of that. Um, but it, uh, it is definitely, this has been such, it's been a fun conversation. It's been really interesting yeah. hearing your thoughts and questions and having an opportunity to share. Well, I appreciate your time. Also, uh, the students, you guys have been troopers today, putting yourself, Amanda, kudos to you for putting yourself in a vulnerable position. Well, yes, I mean, I think we had absolutely. 80 people watching simultaneously <laughs> at one point. So, uh, Kudos to you and everybody who's been uh, tuning in. Sorry, we didn't get to the uh, questions as much as we usually do. Um, but part of that's like we just had so much ground to cover um, within, you know, this this podcast episode. But thank you so much. And everybody, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll see you. See ya. Cool. Thanks. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.